Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Shout out to all the moms. Shout out to all the ladies. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, what a special day it is. Wish we were together. Wish we were giving you a rose. Wish we were celebrating with some fun pastries, cookies, all kinds of things. But instead, we're going to celebrate you at home this week and just say happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, as I was uh, preparing for my message, I was just thinking about my mom. And I just want to give a shout out to my mom uh, and say happy Mother's Day to my mom. I know you're watching. You're watching every Sunday. And uh, I have two of my favorite memories from my childhood and then one thing I learned from my mom. Uh, one is uh, one of my favorite memories ever is my first piggyback ride. I think I was four or five. My mom gave me a piggyback ride out to the mailbox to get mail and, and brought me back. And I remember thinking this is one of the greatest experiences of my life. Still remember it to this day. Second one is swimming at Blue Lake and Deep Lake as a kid with my mom. My mom grew up a swimmer, and so I just remember being able to swim a lot farther when I went with my mom somewhere, and it's just still one of my sweetest memories. And I'd say that one of the biggest things I learned from my mom was just my mom's work ethic. Uh, my mom started as a part-time uh, waitress at Tacoma Yacht Club and worked her way all the way up to second in charge as the caterer there. She's been there for 20-plus years and just showed me that faithfulness and hard work does pay off. And so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, learned a lot from you. Love you. And even the reason why I shared that, if I could just say it this way, is uh, simply, uh, moms, we see you. Uh, we don't say it enough how much we see that you do, uh, the sacrifice you make, and uh, we just see a lot. I wish we should say more of it. So thank you, thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, you guys ready? I'm gonna transition into the message. We just had a moment. Okay, moms, we just had a moment. But we gotta transition into the message. Uh, how great is our God? How great is our God? We're in the middle of this series. It's uh, out of the book of Genesis. And now just to give you a little um, heads up, this week I was in a Zoom meeting with a handful of pastors throughout the country, and one of the pastors asked, are you guys addressing the COVID situation every week? Like, how are you handling it? What are you doing right now uh, as you preach? And, and I just shared, I just had a strong conviction uh, when we started this series that God did not tell me to address COVID, but to share how great our God is, to share the bigness of our God, the goodness of our God, the greatness of our God. I think of that, a story in the um, Gospels where the um, disciples are super scared when the storm comes, and they wake up Jesus, and Jesus is kind of like annoyed in a sense. He's like, why are you so afraid? And here's why I believe they were so afraid. They didn't know how great Jesus was yet. They didn't know how big their God was, that he was in charge of the storm. They, they say at the very end, like, who is this man that, that controls the waves and the storms? This is our God. He holds the universe in the palm of our hands. I believe as this series goes on more and more, my prayer is that you see how great God is, how big God is, how he loves to take care of his kids. So when storms come, in the midst of this COVID uh, thing, oh, that you would have peace knowing that your God can calm the storm, that your God can provide when it looks like there's nothing to provide. Your God can reunite and redeem what you think is, uh, can never be redeemed again. That, that, that's why this series is what it is. And if I'm being honest, that's what we try to do every week. Six, six books written by 40 authors shows us this one big thing. Our God is a great God. Our God is an awesome God. You guys ready to go into the message? Okay, I'm gonna pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for the gift that your word is. Oh, Lord, your Bible says uh, uh, that you're alive and active, Lord, that, that right now as we read scripture, we'll, we'll not return void, that truth sets us free. So I declare freedom this morning. Lord, I, I declare that your presence, I love worship today, how we talked about your presence. Uh, we, 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 we lose shame when your presence comes in. Shame goes, shame must leave. So Lord, I pray that your presence that is in houses today, Lord, that shame would leave, that division would leave, that unity and redemption would start to happen because your presence is in houses all throughout America right now, Lord. We love you, we love you, and even the world. I know people are watching actually in Europe. So Lord, we love you, we love you. Everybody said amen. All right, uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis 4. We're going to Cain and Abel. 
It's one of the more famous stories in the Bible, but it is one of the most profound stories in all the Bible. It sounds super barbaric. You know, Cain and Abel takes him out to a field and kills him with a club, kills him with a rock. But if I'm being honest, what's sad is I don't think we've came very far since Cain and Abel. We still have this thing called jealousy. We still have this hostility in, our, in ourselves to hurt mankind and to hurt each other. And so my, my prayer that when you read this, that you wouldn't think this is an ancient story. Because let me tell you this, God has ancient stories for your modern problems. These are ancient truths that can solve your modern problems, your, your modern worries. And so we're gonna dive into Cain and Abel and we're gonna see this thing called sin introduced for the first time in the Bible. Sin's introduced in Genesis 4. We're gonna learn about what it shows us about mankind and how much mankind needs a savior. We're gonna see the greatness of God. And then we're gonna see really how bad sin is, that we should not wanna associate with it, that we shouldn't even wanna have it around us, that we just wanna destroy it and flee from it. Open your Bibles, Genesis 4. You ready? Here we go. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. If you got little kids in the room, you're welcome. Have a nice conversation after this, okay? Here we go. When she gave birth to Cain, uh, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, and Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Stop. Even before I give the message, this is just bonus content. Why is it so important to bring God your best? It says right here that, that Cain brought stuff to God. He still brought it, but God did not accept it. But Abel, it says he brought his best. It says he brought his firstborn. Oh, can I just tell you real quick, until you start giving God your best, you'll never live your best life. And I know that sounds kind of token area, like live your best life now. That's not what I'm trying to say is, is God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. I'll show you four reasons why you should always give God your best. First reason is this, it's what God wants. Read all through 66 books, read all of them, and you'll see something that God keeps on saying, I must be first in your life. I must have the best of you. I must have all of you. I will not share you. You'll see this over and over again. It's a practical thing. God says, I want the best. So he wants it. So that's number one, why we should give him the best. Second reason why we should give him the best, it's practical. It's practical to give God your best. It says in the Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. This is what's happening with Cain at that moment. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Bottom line, some people go, why isn't God giving me the life that I desire? Can I just be honest with you real quick? You give God the scraps, but you want him to give you the best. God cannot be mocked. That's not how he works. Scripture shows us God cannot be mocked. You cannot make God a side dish and have him give you everything that's supposed to be allotted to you. This is scripture. Here we go. Third reason why you should give him your best is this. It shows our kids and people around us who our God is. It says this in Exodus 13. It says, this is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and to your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord for they belong to him. Stop. Exodus is a story of, basically, it's a preview uh, of salvation. Uh, Israel is in bondage, they are in slavery, and God delivers them from Egypt. And when we get saved, we get delivered from death to life, to cursing, to blessing. So we get delivered. It's called the Passover is what they're celebrating. It's this, and we call this salvation in our life, that Jesus' blood was spilled for us that we'd be saved. And here's God's instruction. He says, and in the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Why are you giving your firstborn to God? Why are you giving the firstborn lamb? Why are you giving the best to God? They'll ask you these questions and you will tell them, 
With the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. People will ask you when you get saved, why do you give God the best of your time? Why do you give God your resources? Why do you give God your talents? Why, why do you give him so much passion to build this house? Why? And you'll say, because before I knew my God, I was depressed and I was broken and he saved me from depression. He saved me from death. He saved me from the trajectory of my life. My life was going this way and he turned my life around and I found joy and peace and restoration. This is why I give my God my best. Oh, may we always give our best to God. And last but not least, why we give God our best is simply this, because he gave his best for us. He gave us his first. He gave us Jesus, oh, his best. And so I just wrote this down. May we always give God our best. May we give him our best worship. May worship not be, I remember, I think it's Tozer. If worship starts to um, reflect our culture around us, it's no longer worship anymore. Our worship should be not of this world. We should be able to worship in our house. When worship comes on during uh, Mission Church at Home, oh, would we give them our best worship? Should, should we give them uh, our attention? Something that Rachel and I will do sometimes is we'll be out to dinner and she'll have a cell phone on the table. And I'll have a cell phone on the table and she'll be just sharing her heart with me. Like, I mean, talking about what God's doing in her life and I'll open my phone up to check how a football score is. And I'll look down at it and Rachel's like, what are you doing? Nothing. And then she's like, you just look at your phone. I'm like, well, you look at your phone all the time too. And we'll go, go back and forth in a second. And it's one of those moments where your spouse is looking at you to give you your best attention and you give them a side dish kind of just 50-50. God does not like worship like that. He does not like worship where, oh God, I love you. wonder what else is going on right now. That's a, that's a good song I'm listening to. Oh yeah, I like that. Grazing the gardens. That's a good thought. Okay. All right. No, God, God does not want that kind of worship. He wants you have my undivided attention. You have all of me, my mind, my soul, my strength, everything that I am. I lift my hands and my praise to you. That's the kind of worship Mission Church is gonna worship with. Another thing we need to give our best is our best time, our best time. I, I'll just say it this way. Um, Cain gave him some stuff. God doesn't want some stuff. He doesn't want some of your time. He wants your best time. He doesn't, some people, it's easy for you to give your money to the church. It's easy for you to give your money to God. But it's hard for you to give your time to God. God wants all of it. He doesn't want it one out of three. He doesn't want it, he wants it all. Our God wants the best. Also wrote this, he wants our best treasures. Oh, the talent he gave you, the gifts he gave you, he didn't give that so you could build your own life. He gave it to you so you could build the kingdom and bring glory to his name. May we always be a church that gives him our best. That's not even the message today. That's just a little bonus content. You're welcome. Let's keep going. So he comes back to Cain, and I love this about our God. He asked, he asked Cain this. He goes, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Something I love about God ugh, is he doesn't allow us to stay where we are. I, I, this is a Timothy Keller quote. God invites you to come as you are. Anybody watching today, Come just as you are. Come just as you are. You don't need to get dressed up for it. You don't need to get perfect before you come hear the gospel. You don't need to get perfect before you say yes, Jesus, because you can't. So come just as you are, but this is what I love. God invites you to come as you are, but not stay as you are. Oh, he wants to deliver you. He not only wants to save you to heaven, but he wants to bring heaven to you. He wants to get depression out of you. He wants to take shame and brokenness and anger. He wants to drive it out of you. Cain had stuff in him that God wanted to get rid of. And God is such a good God that he wouldn't allow Cain to live with that stuff. He was trying to give Cain a chance to repent. Let's keep going. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Woof. When God warns us, we should pay attention. Here's what he says. This is where sin is introduced. And he gives us the nature of sin. Look at this. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked him, where is your brother, where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? 
Oh, just the hardness of sin. You see it take over Cain's life. Cain, it starts with jealousy, and then it goes to murder, and then it goes to a hardness of not even caring about death anymore. Oh, may we always mourn over sin. May we always mourn over people being hurt. May we never be hardened towards those things. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless, wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied, no, for I will uh, give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled the land of Nod, east of Eden. Woo! It's a lot of scripture, but if you've been to Mission Church, we love the word. We love scripture. Um, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at three things today. What does this chapter show us about mankind? We're just gonna do a kind of 30,000 flyby of what this chapter shows us, but also shows us about the Bible and just mankind throughout the whole Bible. Yeah, again, the, the Cain and Abel story, you'll find it throughout Scripture. We're gonna show that, see that in a second. Second thing we're gonna look at today is, what does this chapter show us about our God? Whenever we read our Bible, somebody, some, the, the Bible, sometimes people read it as a leadership book. Oh, I'm gonna find some great leadership principles today. Can you find good leadership principles in the Bible? Yes, that's great. I'm glad. I love leadership stuff. Sometimes yeah, people read the Bible for self-help. Oh, it's helped me here and helped me here. Those are great things, but that's not why we should read our word. We don't read a word for self-help. We don't read our word so it's a leadership book. We read the word of God so we can get to know our God, so we can get to know his characteristics, so we can fall in love with our God, so we actually know the truth of our God, and that truth will set us free. So we're gonna actually read this chapter and find out what it shows us about our God. And thirdly, last but not least, what this chapter shows us about sin. Sin was introduced. shows us the nature of sin. So we're gonna talk about sin today. First one. So what's happening in this chapter? What's happening to mankind? Now, if I could actually break it down, it's kind of like the first church service ever in the Bible. Two people come to worship God and bring their sacrifices. Now, if you look at this, you gotta say, okay, how do they know what to bring? How do they know where to bring it and why to bring it? It says in uh, Hebrews 11:4, it says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So, so Cain and Abel were taught about God. They, 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 they talked to God, as you see in this chapter. Uh, Adam and Eve must have taught them a place where to worship him, where to bring their offerings to him. So they were taught about even the promise that God was gonna save mankind. This offering that's being brought, by the way, it is not a sin offering, the scholars say. It's a dedication offering, an offering of saying, you are my God. It's a, it's a celebration offering almost. It's a relationship offering that they're taught. So where does faith come from, it says? Well, we know the Bible says this in Romans, where faith comes from. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Cain and Abel were told about God. They were told how to live for God. They were told that God deserves their best. They were told about the greatness of God and even how he promised to save them in spite of Adam and Eve's failures. And Abel brings this beautiful offering. It's not a perfect offering. God is not asking for perfection. He's asking for your best. He's asking for when you wake up in the morning, you say, today is your day, God. I'm gonna live for you. Today's not made for me. Today is made for you and for me to glorify your name. So Abel brings his best and God receives it. And then Cain doesn't bring his best and he's mad at God. Can I be honest? The church is full of Cain's today. The church is full of Abel's today. Cain's are the ones that want their cake and eat it too. Cain, Cain's not a, a, a prostitute. Cain's not a murderer at this moment. Cain's not a, a, a bad dude. He's just a religious dude trying to make a transaction, saying, I come to church. You, can I preach hard real quick? I'm gonna preach, I'm gonna preach hard gospel. Okay, uh, here you go, ready? Um, you may be a Cain if you get frustrated with God because he's not giving you what you think you need. 
that he's not giving you what you think you're owed. People who don't really understand salvation yet are so frustrated with God and frustrated with their life and they're dejected with life because they think God owes them this and that. And that's what Cain thinks. You, you, I know it's not the best, but you should have at least taken some of it. He's frustrated. Abel's, the better Abel, Jesus, of course, but people who really understand salvation, understand the promises of God. Let me say it this way. When you understand the promise of God and salvation, it's like somebody giving you a billion dollars. And this is, a, this is a illustration, so bear with me. It'd be more than a billion dollars. Somebody gives you a billion dollars, you go out to dinner with them the next night and you're mad at them that they didn't pay for dinner the next night. You're, enti- you're saying, you should have paid for dinner. They just gave you a billion dollars and now you're mad they didn't pay for dinner? This is what happens. God just saved you from hell. He saved you from everything. You got heaven now and you're mad that he's not gonna pay for dinner the next day? You don't, you, don't, you don't know where you're safe from. You don't really know the gift of salvation. It is infinitely value. It is the greatest gift. People who have really understood salvation know this. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is just, wow, you saved me, and now you're giving me this too? Oh, I'm so worthy to receive this. I'm so unworthy of this, but worthy because of Jesus. Oh, thank you. That's how an Abel receives it. A king comes to church, worships, gives a little bit of money to the church, and then the following week goes, well, I better get a promotion. I better not get any tickets. Uh, my, my sports team better win this week. I, I even raised my hands in worship. I raised them for two songs. That should get me at least one sport team win, and that should get me one date with a girl this week. Where are you at, God? That's not why we worship. If you worship to get, you'll never, oh, you'll always be dejected and angry. So we see this with mankind. We see mankind trying to use God to advance. And then you see another man responding, saying, God, you already advanced me, and I just want to worship you. This is an amazing picture of what we see at this moment. And you'll see this throughout Scripture. You'll see mankind's deficiencies when they don't get what they want. Uh, You look uh, at Cain killing Abel. You think that's the only story? Look at Joseph and his brothers. They're they're upset because they feel entitled to have Joseph's birthright, Joseph's favor. Joseph gets the robe. And what do the brothers do? Let's kill him. They decide to sell him into slavery. It's another Cain and Abel story, if you will. Look at David and Saul. Saul gets jealous of David. So what does Saul do? He tries to kill him with a spear. He tries to hunt him down and kill David. Can I just tell you, don't get mad at somebody else's favor. Don't get mad at somebody else's grace. Don't get mad at somebody else's provision. If somebody has a lot of finance and God called, uh, decided to pour out finances on them, don't be mad at them that they're rich. Don't, don't, don't let that seed of jealousy creep in. You, you allow God to do what he needs to do in your life. And you think that's the only story? How about Jesus and the Pharisees? It says they were jealous of Jesus and they killed Jesus. Jesus is the better able. Oh, how great is our God that Jesus is the better able that came and paid the sacrifice that none of us could have paid. Hope this is making sense. I feel like I yelled at you a little bit. Forgive me. Uh, I preached a little hard gospel. I don't think I've ever used that at our church. I don't even know what that means, to be honest. Um, but let's keep going. Let's keep going. So they, uh, this shows us about mankind. Let's look at the next one. This shows us about our God, about how great our God is. Now, um, I'm going to share three or four points of what this shows about our God. First one is this. It shows us that our God is a God of standards. He has relational standards. And, and, and again, like, even when I read this, like, why? I go, well, why didn't you at least take some of the offering? Like, Cain was like bringing something to you. Why wouldn't you bring it? You know who, who would accept that kind of offering from Cain? A businessman. A businessman would say, you know what? It's not the best returns, but you know what? It's a decent stock market. I'll, I'll, you know, I want 10%, but it's 4% return. I'll take the 4% return. It's all good. God's not a businessman. When you read the Bible, you need to know something. Everything's relationally driven. He's a relational God. Here, here's, here's the best way I, I can say it. Let's, let's use an illustration. Um, let's say 
you are, let's, I'm gonna talk to the females. Guys, just learn from this story, uh, the females. So all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Um, shout out, I can't believe I did a Beyonce. Uh, today's a lot of firsts today. I've never done a Beyonce at church also. Um, all the single ladies, you're dating a guy. You've been dating him for a year and a half. And he proposes to you on a Friday. But now let's rewind. On Monday, you heard that this guy that you've been dating for a year and a half has three other girlfriends that he's being intimate with also. You didn't know about this last year and a half, but you found out on Monday. But on Friday, he proposes to you, and it's a big rock. I'm talking three carrots. It's got the clarity. It's the cut. I mean, it's perfect. It's worth like $100,000. I mean, it's an amazing ring. And he says, will you marry me? And you say, no, I'm not going to marry you. You're sleeping with other people. And could you imagine people saying, hold on a second. Did you see the ring? You're not going to accept the ring? Look at the ring. It's, it's a great ring. Why wouldn't you accept it? It's not about the ring. It's about the heart. It's about the betrayal. It's about you actually don't, you, you don't want to marry me. You just want to use me. I, this, is what, this is what's happening with Cain and God. Cain's saying, hey, here, here's the wedding ring. I, I want the world still, but I'm still going to give you a wedding ring just to show I can use you when I want to use you. No God. No, no God will not. Our God will never say yes to that. Our God is not a God that says, yeah, give, give me something and then I'll give you all of me. Our God goes, for, for, for this to happen, for this to be the healthy, for this to be what it's meant to be, you must give me your best. You, you could take a piece of string, if that's your best, and give it to God, and God would gladly take it and say, I'll be your God. And what's true is we don't even have string to give God. We have our sin to give to God. But when we say, God, you can have my life, you can have all of my sin, you can have it all, God says, I'll say yes to that. God's not looking for a big wedding ring. He's looking for your heart. This, this is our God. How, how great is our God? Second thing it shows us is he's a kind counselor. He's a kind counselor. Now, think about this. Cain has sinned. Cain is the one that's, the, the, you could say, the, um, in the story. He's kind of the star of the show, but he's the bad guy in it. If we could just put it that way. We could use those terms. It was like a movie. And God, like you'd think, like if you would just have a picture of God, you'd think that once he did this and walked away, and Cain's angry, he's frustrated. You think maybe God just sitting up in heaven just tapping his toe? Look at Cain. Can't believe he brought me just his scraps. What is he doing? That's not the kind of God we have. We have a merciful God. We have a, we have a God that's a counselor. When, when somebody's counseling somebody, they just don't tell them, stop being sad, stop being angry, and go out there and be happy, happy now. That's not what happens. A counselor asks questions to reveal what's going on. A counselor asks questions to direct and to lead to freedom. And so God being a kind counselor comes to Cain. He knows the answer to these. He says in verse six, he says, why are you so angry? Why are you so dejected, Cain? What a kind God that he would be this patient with such a uh, hardened, jealous person. Here's what he's saying, and I, I wanna write it this way for you. You're not angry and dejected because of what happened to you. You're angry and dejected because of what's in you. Do, do you hear what I'm saying real quick? God is saying to Cain, you're, you, may, you may think you're angry and dejected because I didn't accept your offering. That's not why you're angry and dejected. You're angry and dejected, not what happened to you, but what's going on in you. Can I just tell you real quick that God is not trying to deal with the outer. You think the outer things, if these all get uh, right, then you're gonna be great? No, it's what's going on in the inner. So, some people, if you have a spouse, you're like, once my spouse does this, I'll be great. You're fooling yourself. Once this gets healthy, then you'll be great. Once this actually becomes what it's supposed to be, it's all about the inside out kingdom. God is talking to Cain about the inside of his heart, not the outer that happened. Third thing that we see about our God is he desires repentance from us. So now Cain has killed Abel, 
And God comes to Cain, and of course he knows what happened to Abel. He says that in this chapter, he says that uh, Abel's blood cried out to him. But before he does it, here's what he asks Abel. Where is your brother? The scholars are saying in this question that what God's really trying to do is he's trying to create a moment of repentance for Cain. Where's your brother, Cain? He's trying to have Cain have a moment going, what have I done? What have I done, God? I'm sorry, I killed him, I was jealous. I repent, I'm so sorry. You'd think he would come with remorse and repentance. God is, God is always, can I, can I just say this real quick? God is always trying to create moments for you to repent and have remorse. God is always trying to create those moments in your life where you, where you have strayed or maybe where you don't even know it and you have questions. Do you know the sins that you're most defensive about are the ones that you need to repent about right now? You know the sins that people are like, hey, have you never said like, oh, whatever, it's a small sin, whatever, leave me alone, it's not that big a deal. Oof. How many times do you need to be approached about the same thing to go, wow, Lord, you're creating a moment for me to repent. You're so kind, God. And the last but not least we see about our God is he's a God of mercy. Cain never repents. Cain never even shows remorse. You know what he shows sadness about? Himself. Well, well if, you, if you cast me out, people are gonna kill me. That's what you deserve, Cain. You just killed Abel. You deserve death. And you're complaining about it. You're not repenting. Isn't it amazing that our God is even merciful to the person who doesn't repent? He says, no, I won't let that happen to you. I'll put a mark in you, I'll protect you. God's merciful. Oh, he's so merciful. I'm so thankful that God's been merciful in my life. In the moments where I've just strayed for weeks and months and years, blind spots and sins that I've just allowed to live my life, and I'm so kind that God just said, I'm gonna have mercy on you right now. I'm gonna allow this sin not to destroy your life. Before I even knew God and the way I was living my life, I'm so thankful that he said, you know what, I'm done with this one. No, I'm so thankful that he was merciful before I was his son. God's a God of mercy. That's a theological thing that I may go, boop. Last but not least, what does this show us about sin? What does this show about sin? So sin's introduced. What sin's introduced? It says this about sin. So he goes, why are you so angry? He looks at Cain. He goes, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. God is, I want to I I take the first positive bent on this. He's telling Cain his potential. Do you know that you can master sin, Cain? Do you know that when you read the word of God, the, the, the word is always gonna show you your potential, that you're a conqueror, that you can be free, that you can move mountains, that you could change the world. The Bible will always show you your potential. God is showing Cain his potential here, but he's also showing him the nature of sin, that sin will destroy his potential. It will destroy his best life. It will destroy it. And so he says that sin is like this thing crouching at the door, waiting to master and subdue you. So there's three things we're gonna look at at sin. It shows us that sin hides. The crouching, it's the Hebrew word of, a, of like a leopard or a cheetah that hides behind a rock or hides in the grass so the prey does not see it to the last second to where it pounces and kills it. So sin hides from us. Some of the most dangerous sins you have in your life right now, you don't even see them. Or some of the most dangerous sins in your life, because it crouches, it's actually a really big sin, but you think it's really small because sin has fooled you and it's crouched and it's become small in your eyes. You've even helped it get small by rationalizing and justifying and saying, well, you don't understand my life. That's what it shows with the crouching word. The next thing it shows, sin has power. Oh, sin has power. It says right there that it's eager to control you. And then last but not least, it, it says that sin wants to lead you. It wants to destroy you. Sin wants to kill you. Sin has no place in your life. Sin has no place. Let me look at the first one. Let's look at this first attribute of sin. Sin is crouching. Sin is hiding. A lot of people picture sin as something that they choose and they walk away from. But really what happens is when you decide to take sin on a date, it doesn't leave. It is that one that you go on a date and you wish you'd get rid of, but you can't get rid of it now. It starts to want to control you and own you. 
Uh, let me put it this way. Just because you're done with sin after you're done sinning doesn't mean sin's done with you. Just because you're like, okay, I sin, I get it. All right, I'm just gonna put it in the corner. Sin is not a vending machine you go to and click D7, I'll have this sin right now, and then you put it in the corner of the house. The Bible says that when you allow sin to grow, it will create death. You can't allow sin to stay in the house. So how do we kill a sin that is hiding? There's a handful of things. The Bible shows us that it says it's a mirror. You know what's nice about mirrors is it shows things that you can't see from your own eye length. So when I'm driving even, just look at this. It says the Bible is a mirror. I have these things called rear view mirrors. So when I'm changing lanes, I can see if I'm about to hit a car and get in a wreck. And you ever said this before when you see a rear view mirror? Wow, that car just jumped out from nowhere. Where did that car come from? It just jumped out from nowhere. Here's the deal with, with sin. Sin likes to hide in the blind spots of where you drive your life. Sin likes to hide in the blind spots until you get the word of God and exposes the blind spots. says, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was sin. Look at the rich young man, just like a Cain moment. He comes to God and says, oh God, I, I follow the 10 commandments. I follow all the rules. Can I, be, uh, can, I, can I have the kingdom of heaven basically? And Jesus goes to him, he goes, here's the deal. Sell everything you have and come follow me. Now this rich young man thought he was nailing it until he came to the word and the word showed him a mirror and said, all right, if you want me, you must give up this world for me. And the rich young man couldn't do it. He saw what he had to give up and he realized it owned him. He didn't own the goods, the goods owned him. Do you own your finances or do your finances own you? Do you own your house or does your house own you? Do you, are, are, do you own your job or does your job own you? Do you own your fitness or does your fitness own you? We could, I could go on and on in this. Until you read the word of God and you realize, wow, this has way too much power over my life. Next thing that we see that we can conquer this hiding sin is this. Is, it says the Bible, is, the Bible says it's light, lamp to our feet. Oh, sin, sin's terrible. But you know what's really terrible? Secret sin. I mean, sin sucks. I'm gonna say it, sin sucks. I'm gonna finish the sentence. Sin sucks the life out of you. It, it, will, it will destroy. It will be a slow bleed. It will be a slow destruction. It's amazing when you're struggling with a sin and you actually turn the lights on and you tell people what you've been struggling with. And you didn't think it was that big a deal until you hear yourself say the words of what you were doing. Until you hear yourself say the words of, of the decisions you were making. It exposes really how dark the sin is. When you, when you make a room dark, something that's really big can hide. It can hide again when it's dark. But when you turn the lights on, it shows the destruction of it. It shows the, uh, the agenda of it. Oh, turn the lights on. Allow the word of God to turn the lights on. Allow there to be real brothers and sisters in your life where you can turn the light on and say, this is what I struggle with. The Bible gives us wisdom to navigate away from sin. It even says, I love in Proverbs, it says, hey, that woman in the, uh, in the streets that's calling out to you said, hey, I got, I got the perfume, I got the room ready, let's go clubbing. The Bible says that wisdom says, run! It says, run away from her. I, I, I love the wisdom of the Bible. It says, don't even go that way. You know, the, another way we could say it is this, is imagine if you were on a walk and I'm on the other end of it, 100 yards out, and you're walking towards me and I say, turn around! There's a lion behind a rock 50 yards in front of you. If you keep walking, that lion's gonna destroy you. Turn around. And you're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for calling out and, and saving my life. That's what the word of God does over and over again. It says, you're on this trajectory. Turn around, repent, turn to heaven, turn to peace, turn to joy. Don't walk this way. Too many people are learning from pain when they can learn from wisdom. Oh, Wisdom is throughout the Bible. I always use a simple illustration, but it's like uh, when I was a little kid, my mom would say, don't touch the burner, Tyler, don't touch the burner. And then, you know, as a little kid, some kids walk up and they're like, well, my mom doesn't know what she's saying. And you come up and you go, ah! and you touch the burner. Your mom's like, I, I told you not to touch the burner. 
Man, as a, as a follower of Christ, I don't want to touch the burner. I want to learn from wisdom. Oh, the way that you destroy this sin that hides is you turn the light on. You turn the, you, you turn the mirrors in the right angle. You start reading the word. The word is one of the greatest gifts that will destroy sin in your life. Sin has power. Sin has power. It says this in Romans 6. When he died, and he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Woo! Be dead to the power of sin. This is a great gift, that when Jesus died on the cross and was raised, he killed the power of sin. Here's how it finishes, and this one I want to focus on. And alive to God through Christ Jesus. So it says now that we're dead to sin, and we're alive to Christ. One of the greatest ways that you can destroy sin is simply this, the yes principle. It's the yes principle. I meet too many Christians that are focused on the nose of Christianity. The, the, the Old Testament 600 plus laws, Jesus comes on the scene and takes two, uh, two, uh, two commandments, love me and love people, that's it. The, the Pharisees are focused on don't do this, don't do that, make sure you say no to this, no to that. If you wanna destroy sin, don't focus on all the no's, wake up and do this. God, I say yes to you today. God, I say yes to being alive in you. I say yes to your plan. I say yes to righteousness. I say yes to sacrifice. I say yes to the things of heaven. Start saying yes to God. Start, don't be, okay, I gotta say no to lust today. I gotta say no to selfishness. I gotta say no to being angry. I gotta say no to this. I gotta start saying yes to Jesus. It's amazing when, what one yes will do in your life. I have some yeses in my life that changed my life forever. When I said yes to Rachel, it changed my life forever. I, I, I didn't have to go around and tell all the other ladies, no, 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 no. That would be weird. Simply put, this ring right here tells all the other ladies, no. No, 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 no. Got to put it that way. <laughs> I, I think of, I think of uh, when I do weddings, one of the things I always uh, say about the, the ring ceremony is I talk about its significance. But I even say, you know, one of the things this ring's going to do is when your wife's at the grocery store, it's just going to tell the fellas, hey, fellas, back off. I already said yes to somebody else. That really is what happens when you start saying yes to Jesus every day. You're saying to sin, back off, I've already said yes to Jesus. Hey, sin, back off, I've already said yes to his plan and not your plan. Uh, hey, sin, back off, I've said yes to life and no to death. Start saying yes to Jesus daily. And last but not least, what sin does, sin wants to control and lead you to death. It wants to control and lead you. James 1.15 says this, these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When you allow sin to stay, it gives birth to death. So sin wants to control and lead you. I, Rachel and I, I don't know about you're watching uh, during this quarantine, but we've been in a World War II documentary kick. Darkest Hour, highly recommended, phenomenal movie. We just watched that the other day. Uh, we watched a bunch of World War II documentaries. And it's fascinating when you learn from just warfare and you actually look at the Bible and you see spiritual warfare and you start to see these connections. And one of the things I found out in World War II was the Nazi army had these German officers that could speak English and speak it well. So they would steal American um, fatigues and they would put on our army fatigues and look like American soldiers. And they would speak American. And so when new troops would come through, they would direct them the wrong way. They would lead them down the wrong path to where they would, there would be a trap and some were executed 50 at a time sometimes. And it grieved me. I was like, this, this isn't right. Like, how, how in the world did this happen? Like, there should have been somebody saying, this isn't a real troop. He's directing you the wrong way. What we have that I think I'm just so thankful for that Cain didn't have is we have the word of God. We have the word of God that shows us the right way. It says in Romans that we are led by the spirit of God. The spirit of God wants to lead his people. So you can have sin lead you or you can have the Holy Spirit lead you. I think in Numbers 14, it's an amazing verse. 
It's uh, talking about uh, Caleb. Caleb and Joshua are the ones that got experienced the promised land. And it says this in Numbers 14. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I'll bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Their full share. Their full share. A great spirit is cultivated. It doesn't happen overnight. A great spirit happens from praying daily, reading your word daily. And then 10 years later, you look at your life and you're saying, man, because I started reading my word, because I started serving, because I started praying, man, I'm not even, the enemy's so obvious to me now. I don't even go down those paths anymore. I, I, see, I see direction and I always choose forgiveness. I don't choose uh, my, my own way. It's amazing what happens when you cultivate a great spirit. And what it says when you cultivate a great spirit, because it uh, says Caleb has a different attitude. Joshua had a different spirit, it says. It says that that different attitude the word, is the word spirit. When you actually cultivate a great spirit, I love the promise, it says you'll get your full share. I want the full share. I want the full share of my life. I want, I, want, I want a great marriage. The Bible says that those who are planted in the house of God, they'll flourish and be fresh. I want a flourishing marriage. I want a flourishing ministry. I want flourishing friendships. I want fresh friendships. I want, I want to wake up in the morning excited to live my day. That doesn't happen because I bring a transaction to my God. It happens because I develop a relationship with my God. Let's close with this. Cain and Abel. You have Abel die. And it says his blood cries out. And I'm always frustrated this story, to be honest. Can I, can, I, can I just be real honest with you? I don't like this story a lot. Abel's a good dude, it looks like. And he, he died, he just gets murdered. And it says his blood cries out. I'm like, where's the justice for Abel? Where, where, where's, where's Abel's justice? And if you look throughout the Bible, what you'll find out is God's a God of mercy and grace, but he's a God of justice. You look throughout the Old Testament, he'll say, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the cries of their blood. I've heard the cries of their oppression. Because he's a God of justice that wants to bring justice. And so he, he brings, of course, able justice through Jesus in the New Testament. And, and something that you and I need to understand is that we'll never be able to actually bring a perfect offering because we're not perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. We're never gonna be able to bring that, that real offering that would go, okay, all sin is forgiven. Everything is fixed. The only one that could do it was Jesus and he brought himself. And I love what it says in Hebrews 12, 24. And this is how great our God is. What a great picture that Jesus is the better able, that he's a greater able. He says this, you have come to Jesus, the one who med uh, uh, mediates the new covenant between God and the people. So between God and us is Jesus literally mediating for us. Oh, bless Tyler. Oh, protect Tyler. Oh, forgive Tyler. My justice, desert, my justice calls for forgiveness for, for Tyler. Here's why his justice calls for forgiveness which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Woo! Abel died, called out for justice. The, it said the blood called out for vengeance. The blood called out for justice. It says when Jesus died, called out for grace, called out to cover me and not destroy me. That, that, that's what Jesus' blood does for us. That literally his, his blood justifies us. His blood covers us. His blood, oh, his grace, it protects us. Can I, can I tell myself real quick and we'll just finish? My first three years of getting saved, I raised my hand in church to get saved almost every other week. Literally, I, I, I would sin and be like, oh, my, oh gosh, God's gonna, he, he, he hates me, he's done with me, he's gonna punish me. And so they would say, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, raise your hand. So every couple of weeks, I'd literally raise my hand. So every, every other week, God, I say yes to you. And then the person from the CD ministry would walk up and give me, I said yes CD. I had like 50 of them in my back seat all the time. Like I toss them back. I always got a free candy though for saying yes to Jesus. That was the one perk of questioning my salvation for about a, a year and a half, um, especially the first year and a half. Anyways, you come across this verse and I came across this revelation and this truth. 
that God is a God of justice. And Jesus paid the full price for my salvation, the full price. So it would be unjust of God to allow Jesus' sacrifice not to actually do what it was called to do. Jesus says, my sacrifice calls out for grace and justice for Tyler. He should be forgiven for that sin, that he should be accepted in heaven, that he should, that when it says those who are faithful to repent, they will be forgiven. Oh, when I repent, Jesus cries out, my blood causes repentance to create blessing again. What an amazing thing that our, that our Savior's blood does not cry out vengeance, but it cries out forgiveness. It cries out grace. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm not sure if this is your first time tuning in. Today we talked about sin. <laughs> sin was introduced in Genesis 4, so I talked about it. We talked about mankind. We talked about, of course, the, the greatness of God. The thing I really want to ask is just simply this. If you're somebody who thinks that you need to get perfect before God saves you, you don't know how great our God is. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died on the cross so you come just as you are. But then he gave us the Holy Spirit so we wouldn't stay where we are that we would become free and sanctified and be everything, to be honest, to be just like our Savior Jesus. So if you wanna say yes to Jesus today, you wanna say yes to heaven, no to hell, you wanna say yes, oh, you wanna repent, you wanna say, I don't want sin to be my master, I want Jesus to be my, my, my Savior, I want God to be my Father, I want the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me. If you never said yes to Jesus today, here's how you're gonna say yes. One is, if you're with somebody, tell them you said yes and have them pray a prayer with you. If you don't have anybody with you, type in the YouTube thing to our right and just say yes, and we're gonna have a pastor follow up with you. On our website, there's a place where I said, I said yes, you can go on there and say, I said yes, or you can call a friend and say, I just said yes to Jesus, best decision of my life. Church, we're gonna be a bunch of better ables. If I could just say that, let me finish with this. We're gonna be a bunch of better Abels. Cain's, Cain's hate Abel's. They hate Abel's. Cain's are entitled. It says literally in the New Testament that there's Cain's or Abel's. There's literally sons of Cain's, sons of the devil. But Cain's hate Abel's. Abel's don't hate Cain's. Abel's love people who are lost. Abel's love people who are making bad decisions. Abel's love people who are the ones that are actually trying to destroy them with their word. Let's love people. Let's just be like our God. Let's create conversation. Ask those people why they're hurting so much. Ask those people how they're doing. Let's create conversation with this world. Let's love this world. Mission Church, I love you. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.